You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Mic check, please. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America. The DU Podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, the official performance dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Purina Pro Plan, always advancing. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. I'm your host, John Gordon, and I've got a special guest today, a uh, gentleman I started working with, oh, 2018, 2019, but we first met on a Ducks Unlimited television set, Beaver Dam Lake 2015, on a uh, pretty pretty cool episode that uh, was a ladies' hunt, and um, it turned out really well. It, the weather worked out right. It's hard to make everything work out right sometimes, but it did in that uh, particular episode. But Austin Brown, welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. Good to be here. I think the weather was a little extreme, it seemed like. Too. <laughs> well, it was. It, I remember very well that um, there was a major cold front coming in from the north uh, right before that shoot was going to happen. That was in, uh, it was early January, and... Um, yeah, the temperatures for North Mississippi were going to be more like Canada, really. So it was going to drop into the single digits. And with a lake like Beaver Dam, what you get is all the surrounding field areas that birds have been holding in and feeding in will freeze solid. And then what you get is a captive audience, so to speak. You know, if you've got open water, that's where they're all going to be. And that's what happened in that particular hunt. And uh, y'all folks, you can check it out uh, on uh, the DU website. Uh, yeah, it's in the 2015 season. 
it, it was a really great show. But uh, Austin, you and Richie filmed that, and that's the first time I'd ever met y'all. I wasn't working for Ducks Unlimited at the time. I was just helping the Boyds out. As a matter of fact, Michael Lamar Boyd, uh, Beaver Dam Hunting Services, great host of that deal. Oh, let's see. Who was the cast of women? Let's see. Carrie Lingo. She was a Olympic uh, gold medalist in field hockey. Right. And then we had Christine Thomas, a longtime DU board member from Wisconsin, uh, Jan Young from California, and let's see, Ainsley Beeman yep. hosted That's that right. show. And uh, it was really cool. I want to, folks, I can remember one thing that really stood out in my mind with Austin is it was really windy the first day, but that front was coming in, and it was blowing about 25, and uh, it, the, the boys blind there at Beaver Dam, it looks like a big beaver hut more or less but Austin got up on top of that blind stayed up there the entire morning uh filming birds and it was uh it was pretty special man we all thought you were going to freeze to death I, I remember just the i don't even know is an inch or two inch thick ice we had to break in boats and kind of going out there i was thinking in the dark because you don't know that they've got a little bit of open water out from the blinds i was thinking man this is going to be a short hunt we're not and then we get out there and i mean we've got the perfect you know 20 by 30 hole right from the blind and and like i was telling you we, we had such a good hunt i think they've just the past couple of years stopped using that actual footage from that hunt as far as for like intros and other other things because it was so i mean right in your face i mean and they run a great operation i mean that's like picture perfect easy hunt roll up to the blind i mean that's not something that you're used to hunting on public land so that was it, it was pretty spectacular to say the least yeah and that, that leads me into what i really want to talk about with you today is is the real challenges of filming a waterfowl hunting tv show i mean i know you've done big game and other stuff i mean is there anything more challenging than doing waterfowl i mean the thing with waterfowl too is a lot of things that people don't see is like just you know normally like me being a public land duck hunter in arkansas i know that there's challenges in itself just trying to get birds where you want them but then like multiply that by like three you're hiding you know two more guys maybe three more guys depending if you got a sound guy or whatever you're doing and then trying to get the birds you know 20 or 30 yards right you know right in front of the camera because like you mentioned earlier if they're not on camera then that one doesn't count so that's the uh and then not to, not to mention i remember one of the first trips that i went to uh with john paul morris in uh, north dakota blizzard snowy conditions trying to keep camera gear dry i mean then we had to this was a public land spot so we had to walk in like a mile so we're carrying you know 30 or 40 extra pounds easy of camera gear and you get out there blizzard and it's just you know times multiply however hard the hunt is by about two or three and then you're going to get let's film a t let's film a show for du tv so that's how it usually <laughs> works yes yeah, isn't that the truth that it's it's a lot more difficult to well and it's difficult as well the fact that you're not just hunting three or four people you've also got a cameraman inside the blind you've got a guy outside the blind so what are the real challenges of hiding from the birds well i mean basically you know before every hunt we try to have the conference call and figure out a way that we're going to make this work because if you've got like trees or stuff, it's usually easier to hide people. But if you get out in some of those fields, like in a Canada or something like that, now the A-frame uh, invention of the blind has obviously made that a lot easier because you can drop somebody back. But before that, you're sitting on your back laying out there trying to hide two or three guys in layout blinds. And that is, I mean, that's a nightmare. Nobody likes to sit on their back and film birds coming over your head. So that's definitely a major challenge of it. Yeah, that's one that has been a big change. And it really has helped film television. To me, uh, the A-frame style where you've got the portable blinds, you can set up, you can also 
make it a little portable one man blind, right? For the camera operator who's filming birds, and, and folks, that's how it works. Okay, um, you, you, what you see is the final product. You see the birds coming in and the guys getting up and shooting, but it's two guys, right? And the one that really focuses on the waterfowl themselves, and and somebody else is focusing on the conversations and the blind and the and the shooters. Um, and I, I, it, folks, y'all have seen Austin's work quite a bit on DUTV. If you're a fan, it's uh, you know he he does he does incredible work capturing those birds in flight i mean coming into the decoys flying over i mean that's a, that's that's a challenge in itself well that's another thing too as far as like you got to make sure the wind's right but then also the sun's got to line up because you can't be looking you know that's a lot of you know when you're hunting usually you always want the sun at your back but when you get you know when you're hunting with different you know, every time we go somewhere it's a new different different people that don't know how you hunt so you've got to line up the wind line up the sun and it hits all uh it just all keeps going and then like you said hiding people that's the that's usually the main the biggest challenge i would say another aspect that that's really difficult. It's really challenging for waterfowl hunting. Any, any television show where you've got a lot of moving parts and you've got people who got to take off work, you've got, you know, maybe kids need to be out of school, whatever, is is the fact that you've got to put these shows together and, and pick the date range you're going to film in in, you know, April, July, August. And this is going to take place in January or December. And you have no idea what the weather conditions are be. Austin, give us a little example of, of how that can really change everything. Oh, yeah. Weather's huge. And then, like I said, the biggest part about even with the weather is just keeping the, all that camera gear like, you know, you got to have it almost in perfect condition because you start burning through camera gear. It's going to get expensive quick. Uh, last year, I know we went up to Maine. It may have been two years ago. And a guy, I just remember looking over at guy. We're going out across this uh, yeah, sound or whatever they call it up there. I'm not a big sea duck guy, but anyways, just the waves, you know, all that salt water spray going everywhere. It's raining. And I look over there, and he's got like a camera. He's got his life jacket on and a and a, his coat draped over, you know, several thousand dollar camera, just trying to keep it dry. I mean, it's just stuff like that that people don't really see behind the scenes. It's it, you can't really show it, but that's stuff that goes into making. Uh, a show is just keeping all that gear in perfect condition. I mean, it's a nightmare a lot of times. So, yeah, folks. I mean, because you're dealing sometimes with, like I said, with uh, with a lot of cold. You got extreme cold. You got it's too warm. I mean, it's raining. It's going to storm. It's it's snowing. I mean, it, it, because let's face it. I mean, you know, outside of teal season and some of the early seasons, Canada and stuff like that, you're really dealing with with weather that can change on a dime, just like it did that day at Beaver Dam where it went from, eh, you know, pretty typical lows in the 30s, 40s to low. Uh, that second morning was 8 degrees there at, in Tunica, Mississippi, which is really uh, unseasonable weather. But, uh, yeah, it makes for, for great hunting a lot of times. I mean, you know, down here in the south, you know, we're, we're really sort of weather dependent. It's, uh, you know, I mean, you just you got to get those fresh pushes of birds. Oh, yeah. the uh, I always give Guy a hard time. Like, his go-to rental vehicle is a minivan. And so, we'll, I've got videos of him. T we'll be up in Canada, and he'll be just driving this minivan out across this field like cutting over <laughs> corn stalks or you know where they've harvested or whatever so and and that's the other thing you don't get to see is like uh in north dakota last year you got that thing stuck i mean well, here we are because it was when we got to north dakota it was like uh you know sunny skies supposed to be a perfect week well day two pouring down rain i mean we're sitting there slipping or slipping and sliding so it's just uh all this stuff you try to plan ahead like you said never gets planned accordingly so you just got to go with what it is guy, guy does love the minivan doesn't he <laughs> you know and i, I get it i mean y'all got a lot of equipment that's right and well it's and nowadays it it's the only thing that's usually available i mean you go to it, like do you have a four-wheel drive truck they never have one so it's like do we going to be in the you know the small ford tours or are we going to be in the in the minivan that's your two choices so you gotta go minivan gotta go minivan yeah. and i know it it's 
that's uh, that's that's part of that. And I know y'all over the years have had to, you know, go out of your way sometimes to pick up the host, you know, from different airports and stuff like that. You've, so there's a lot of coordination that goes on behind the scenes that, that folks are just watching the show, a 22-minute show with commercials, you know, 30 minutes. They never see it, you know. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it's pretty fascinating. Uh, tell us a little bit about... Uh, about your background, how you got involved with uh, with videography? Yeah, just uh, I went to school. You know, marketing management's kind of the degree, so I'm not really, um, I guess, taught. I'm self taught, I guess, is the way to say it on like the editing and the filming side of it. It's just like picking it up. You know, I always enjoyed being outdoors, and then you know, just kind of getting a job here and there, and then you just kind of work from there. Who you know, and then, you know, do a good job here, you're going to get another job, and so that kind of just expanded from that. I think probably the thing that gives me an advantage as far as like you mentioned filming birds is just that uh, you know I've always grown up waterfowl hunting here in Arkansas and it's just kind of been a passion of mine so I've kind of it's it's kind of easy for me to kind of know when a duck's going to commit or what it's going to do I would say somebody that might be a big game hunter might not you know have that instinct of when a bird's going to you know dip in or when they're going to fly away or whatever so I think that gives me a little bit of advantage the bird side of it so I think that's an important point that the best videographers that I've worked with um, on the waterfowl side of it, uh, with the exception of, of, of our, our buddy Zach Eshelman, he, he really picked it up pretty quickly uh, on, on picking up birds in flight and how to capture it, you know, uh, really for to make it entertaining. Is the fact that you really, uh, the best of ones that I've worked with have, have got pretty extensive hunting background, especially waterfowl hunting. And like you said, we you're an Arkansas native. I mean, so you were, you were I'm sure, a little kid, you know, you know tagging along with uh, older guys, your dad and such, and, and chasing birds. Uh, here in Arkansas, and that, that that gives you a big advantage. Yes, for sure. That's a, I mean, I don't think it's uh once you've seen it a couple of times, you kind of know what's going on. But if you're just if you've done the fishing or the big game, and then you they try to throw you in there and try to film birds, I, I would say it could be more of a challenge, so to speak, for sure. Because I mean, like uh, guys picked it up great, but he's got to see it over and over again, kind of see how it works. So I think that's a huge uh, seeing it again and again starts being easier obviously like anything else but you know to throw you out there in the uh <laughs> in the woods or something trying to guess when they're gonna pitch in it's probably could probably be a little bit of a challenge i would say i know a lot of what uh, of what zach has done is that he's pretty good about figuring out where to position gopros you know to where you know he's might be focusing on a different area but he's got that gopro right there in the decoy where you know you get him dropping in and you still got that shot so there's all kind of it's 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 changed a lot i remember you know, I was a broadcast production major at Mississippi State, and the you know the the the, the beta newscasting type gear that was used back in those days. I mean, there was huge cameras that were very heavy that you had to you know put on your shoulder basically or tripods. And there was you know it's 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 changed a lot. Tell us about the advancements in, in technology and how that's really changed how it's done. Oh, that's you know here like Field Hudnall and, and Fred Zink, some of those guys talk about the old days when they were like you mentioned taking those big expensive yeah. heavy cameras and setting those up and then i think even like the cuts and stuff that they used to do on kind of the older show would like you know would be more focused on production side of it you know like as far as now we get away with things where we can you know easier to edit and easier to know when to shoot and stuff like that so and drones for example just over the past couple of years you'd be taking like the inspire or something that's just huge in a big pelican well now you can get away with a you know 4k you know 120 just you know state-of-the-art drone you can put it in the backpack so i think that's just huge over the past even my own stuff i've noticed the way that we've started off with camcorders and now you a lot of times we'll just roll dslr or something real small throw that in the backpack so as far as like traveling uh uh, airlines especially that helps a lot not having to worry about if your luggage is going to get there or whatever you can throw all that stuff in a carry-on so you know you got yeah, your cameras with the, it. you know that it happened in the past with shows is that the ca that the baggage ended up in a different location and the show was completely shot there was no gear right 
right? I mean, it, 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 that, yeah, that's a huge advantage, the fact that you can carry on cameras, and uh, and you know they're going to be there when you need them. But, well, logistics, too, like Field Hundles told me about, they'd show up to the airport, just have, like, the whole, you know, check-in line blocked down because they've got just, like, Hollywood production stuff coming through, and then, you know, try getting all that out to the middle of a cornfield in, you know, Saskatchewan or something. I mean, it's just a, you know... De- definitely today, I would say, is easier as far as, you know, filming in the field without, you know, hands down. Stay tuned to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, after these messages. Here's, here's one for you. Uh, you filmed all kind of different hunts in different locations as far as what's the most challenging bird to really get on film correctly? Is it divers? It's got to be, I would think. Uh, yes, that would say. If you get out there, I mean, I would say most of my hunts, uh, puddle ducks and stuff like that have been the majority, but we have, like Maine, I mentioned we went out there and trying to get those, you know, buffle heads or stuff like they're just scooting across the water because they're tough to pick up in the camera. And then if the lighting's not right, you're trying to work with all that. So, and like, obviously you try to get as tight as you can on a lot of these ducks it's tough to get tight on like knowing what a diver is going to do and I'll, st- I'll tell you me not being a diver hunter once again i you know right. that's not something i'm gonna have a lot of experience in so somebody will probably look at my video and be like man what was this guy doing so i mean that's just <laughs> something that goes with now i mean like you know mallards in the trees i, I think i know what's going to happen there but like you throw me out in a in a sea duck situation i'm probably not the guy you want you know telling you how that's going to pan out so anyway <laughs> I, i'm gonna disadvantage for sure yeah yeah hunting some divers on the texas coast especially redheads you know those jokers are like little fighter jets right so i mean all they'll come bombing out of the sky and before you know it they're right there in your decoys in your face and you know we're a mallard where you're working it and they give you plenty of time you know swinging around and you know setting up and, and it's just it's a heck heck of a lot easier i would think from like and canada geese too it's got to be pretty easy they're big birds anyway and then you're calling to them and they're you know and they're, and they're not moving nearly as swiftly you know i some of the my favorite footage since i've been uh, a producer of du tv that, that you did was uh that north dakota shoot that was in the snow where those canadas were just right in y'all's face man i mean you got some extremely good close-up shots of those birds i mean just hanging right there yeah i think that was if i remember right that was up there at big buck paradise with uh field huddle and that was i mean that was no this one was was it it was last year was yeah, it with fred it was with no it was with it was with, oh uh, doug was up with there doug. oh, yeah, oh doug we were the drake, drake waterfowl guys oh yes that was that was crazy yeah that was uh there was a lot of geese and it was a couple of those hunts was like freezing cold. We were we were glad that the hunts were short because uh, it was pretty much in your face, quick, and uh, we got back and got in the lodge, got warm, and got that camera gear. I mean, what, like you said, when you start putting cold and camera gear together, it usually doesn't turn out like it should. Yeah, so. I remember watching the weather before that hunt, going, "Wow, it looks like it's going to be lows around zero. <laughs> yeah. But it's like you know, uh, the guide up there on that hunt, uh, Matt Peel, Dirty Bird Outfitters in North Dakota, extremely experienced. If uh, you know, and he knew that. In, in that part of the world, if the conditions got right, they were going to be right in y'all's face. I mean, they were going to be close, and, and that's how it turned out. I think I think everybody before that trip, I know Doug and I specifically were like, man, what are we getting into on this trip? I, I think we might have even been uh, talking bad about you, being like, what has John got us into <laughs> on, on this deal? Like, and, you don't uh, have to have faith on me, man. I mean, I mean, well, I mean, we didn't have faith. It was like, are we going to be able, not if we're going to see birds or not, it's like, are we going to be able to function while we're out there with these birds? So it ended up, you know, a couple of those days what is bad typical you know weather forecast what is bad as they said it was going to be and it 
when you get those those fronts and that weather all to line up perfect. I mean, you know, mag- yeah. magic happens for sure. Yeah, folks, you check that show out. Like I said, it was on. Uh, it was uh, from last year's season, and uh, it's uh, we like I said with uh, with uh, some of the drag guys there in North Dakota, and that's December in North Dakota, which you know the weather can yeah you know it can go below zero at that point, big time up there. But that area that Matt hunts that near Lake Sakakawea, uh, those Missouri River headwaters are there, so it, it keeps that water open, and all those birds that will stay in there, Canada geese and mallards both i know y'all saw a ton of uh, mallards too we we were basically targeting the canadese geese when we got up there but the mallards i think on the last day we kind of got thrown in on a little afternoon duck hunt if i remember right and they were like you said they were coming off that open water on that lake to those fields uh to feed and it was you know impressive it was just you know hundreds and thousands of mallards coming off that lake it was pretty pretty cool to see yeah most people think that oh it's frozen up up there there can't be any birds left well they're pretty resilient right you know i mean they don't mallards in canada especially i, I call them kind of lazy birds because they, you got to freeze them out you got to very french freeze their feet to make them leave sometimes you know that's why we got to have that weather down here you know up there big time to have really good hunting in arkansas mississippi uh west tennessee uh yeah we need it but don't often get it lately man i just remember the winters being colder when i was a kid i don't know why it just seemed like i froze to death every time i went out there when i was like 10 11 years old it that may be true but i remember a couple i think two or three years ago it got pretty cold down there in arkansas because i think we were uh, just tried to find open water there for for a little while. So you know, and now that I think about it, I was thinking about the very <laughs> tail end of the season last year. Remember that ice storm hit, and it got down to uh, yeah, it was pretty cold. I mean, it boy, you get ice and and in Memphis and stuff mixed together, and man, it just turns into the you know a disaster, and everybody just shuts down. But I remember, yeah, I actually uh, took a couple of days off, and I was hunting uh, with my son. Uh, over near Fair Oaks, Arkansas, and yeah, it was cold. And I remember <laughs> looking at my dog, and he had ice all over him. And uh, but he was out there; he was a champ, man, a young dog, you know, old Buster, man. He's a uh, he's a uh, well, he's in training right now, so he's uh, he's getting ready for next year. Well, this year, I'm like, man, I keep I losing track of time, Austin. These days, man, it's all running together. Before we know, it, we'll be, I mean, DUTV be filmed again. We're we're you know mid September kicks off, you know, the in Texas once again. Yeah, that's what when you were t- asking me about dates earlier, I was telling you that a lot of this stuff runs together. Because and even last year to bring up the the weather, I remember the Kansas trip we did right yep. there at the very end. I went on a hunt with a buddy the day before, and we were breaking ice in the Arkansas River Channel, and it was like crazy. And then we get up there to Kansas, and you know they got a little open water hole, and then magic again. So that's, that's what you're looking for, man. That's why I hate the cancel hunts, right? And shoots, this is like, you know, I talked to the guide uh, that that it was the day before y'all were going to leave, I believe. You know, and it, it was it was cold, but I was like, look, man, are the did the birds leave? Or are they still there? And they're just hiding. And he said, oh, they're still here. And I was like, okay, well, I was looking at it. it was going to go right back up into the 70s you know it looked like so everything was going to open up and i was well it should be it should be fine you know and sure enough i mean but they were calling me man they were worried to death everybody gets everybody gets terrified when the cameras turn on right this is not going to work out oh no we don't know do this i'm like look this is hunting sometimes it doesn't work out but sometimes it just like i said just like magic it just the conditions improve and and there you go it's it's really an awesome deal yeah you really never know i mean the day before can change it one way or the other and like on that trip going up from arkansas you always get excited when you start seeing you know migrating waterfowl in the area you're going to be hunting that always gives you like a little glimmer of hope because you you just never know you could hit it perfect and that that trip it ended up working out like had just enough open water we get there break a little ice off that morning but then you know as long as you keep that water open a little bit and those birds those birds are coming off the fields and stuff it was you know pretty spectacular 
Yeah, yeah, that's uh, Kansas. I love Kansas. It, it, it's it's a, it's it's not as uh, a big known waterfowl state as a place like Arkansas or something like that. But it, you know, Kansas has got especially for mallards. I mean, Kansas has got plenty of them. You know, and geese too. You know, Canada specs. Uh, they've got all that. <clears throat> I'm gonna switch gears for a second here because uh, you know the reason that we're talking here together in uh, beautiful Lake Washita, Arkansas, is uh, a little DU Nation, folks. I mean, everybody, you know, I know y'all are watching them because we, you know, it's been doing really well. And uh, we decided, you know, with the success of DU Nation, that we really wanted to do year-round content with it. So that's really expanded it into a really outdoor lifestyle series, right? And so we were in. Let's see, we were south of New Orleans last year. First episode of DUTV that's about to hit uh, in the first week of July. And uh, uh, you brought up uh, spearfishing. And I was like, spearfishing? And I'm like, yeah, I, I had no idea that you were big into it. And you were like, well, man, we really need to do something for that. So we we, uh, we showed up for the DU Nation cameras, folks. Uh, opening day, uh, Arkansas spearfishing season. And um, I tell you what, it, it's really uh, a really cool experience. I mean, uh, give us a little insight. In, I mean, how you got in, involved in that deal? Yeah, I've got a buddy that actually took me out years and years ago just to kind of uh, introduce me to scuba diving and kind of started there. And then he was a big spear fisherman you know kind of kind of once i went down there and did it for the first time after i got certified and everything like that on the scuba diving side that was it i was hooked so if i if i had to describe it to somebody i'm a big bow hunter and so it's kind of like uh, i would say bow hunting on steroids or something once you get down there you're you're trying to uh you know get in position you know using rocks and the terrain to your advantage and so it's there's just a lot of there's a lot of technique and strategy that i think you know probably a lot of people don't know about but and and just what i've learned on on fishing and and how they are, are under the water and stuff like that it's been a, a big uh something that i've learned a lot over the years probably a better fisherman above uh the water surface you know you, you know what's going on down below you know and, and what to look for from structures so like lake washita beautiful place first time i'd been here Oh man, it's just uh, it's just I like the way that the state of Arkansas has kept it pretty wild. You know, I mean they've kept it as it's a state park. Am I correct? The entire lake is it? Yeah, the Corps of Engineers uh pretty much has all the land kind of around the lake. That's kind of kept most. Of, there's there's a few little spots and pockets that have homes or you know marinas and stuff like that. But for the majority, you can't build on the actual uh you know shoreline, so to speak. Right. Yeah, that keeps it you know like I said, a really clean look to it. You don't have houses all over the place, and which a lot of lakes you've got houses right there on the water everywhere. And, and not not so at Washita. It's a huge lake, forty thousand acres. Uh, very, you know, it's it's clear. I mean, very clear, very rocky bottom, very rocky shoreline. So that keeps that that sediment out of it and keeps it really really clear water. Um, and that, you know, from what I just gathered, being with y'all, that's a huge deal. You got to be able to see what you're doing. Hundred percent. Yeah, a lot of these lakes around here, even the lake that uh, we live further north up here you can't you could see you know five feet in front of your face if you're under the water but here the uh, the water's really clear you know we've got a couple other lakes like Greer's Ferry and stuff that and bull shoals that you could see pretty good but this is kind of just where I've always grown up and then you know every year we have you know family camping trips over here and it's just it's just closer to home so it makes it easier for me traveling back and forth like I said similarity bow hunting right I mean you develop strategies and, and what's the real key to spotting a fish under the water and and getting in a position for a shot I would say kind of different fish will have different things, you know, walleye the, the main thing that i see on those is their fins when they're underwater you kind of see like a little white kind of coming down um and you'll kind of, they're kind of lower on the obviously closer to the surface of the of the lake and so every fish kind of has different little niches, so to speak, too, of how they move and stuff like that. And that's just things that you learn, learn about once you're down there and, and doing it over and over. Like those, like 
we were talking about strappers earlier. You caught that big big striper off the boat while we were <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, folks, I I, uh, I did. I happened to catch a striper off the boat. I, it was totally uh, uh, by accident. Trust me, I, I had no idea that was going to happen. And uh, I hook into a really nice striper off the ba- off the back of the boat when everybody was getting ready to dive, and it was like uh, that, that that really was a highlight of that first day. But uh, um, yeah, so those different fish much like different areas, right? Yeah, they have they have different characteristics on how they act too. Like I would say. Catfish, for example, probably a little bit more um, confident on, like, if you kind of swim up to them, they're not as spooked, I would say. Like, striper, for instance, it's probably easier to catch them on top of the water than it is underneath spearing them because you you may get, like, one shot at them, but once they kind of swim up to you and figure out what's going on, they're out of there. So you just kind of, there's a lot of strategy of how you approach different fish, when to take the shot and stuff like that. When When I first started, I was rushing my shot a lot. Like, I was getting, you know, getting excited, obviously, like anything else when you get down there. And I would say over the years, I've kind of got more confident and being patient. That's the main thing. Because you're only going to probably get one shot at just just like a deer. Very similar to bow hunting, right? I mean, boy, you get nervous, you start shaking, and you're, you know, and and you just get, you know, you just wait for the right shot. You know, a lot lot of deer wounded, I'm sure, missed both because of the same fact. And you say the same thing with fish. I'm sure that it it takes a minute to figure out, okay, I need to wait for the right shot to really take it so you know these are pneumatic spear guns you're all using yes yes uh, a lot of people like i mentioned some people use band guns i never have i, I don't do much saltwater uh spear fishing so for us it's pneumatic so so if somebody wanted to say i mean just beginners like man this spear fishing sounds like a great deal you know they, they watch this dv nation episode so i'd really like to get involved so first steps i guess uh, you have to you've got to be certified to uh, to be able to dive yeah unless you're gonna i mean you can always free dive and stuff like that um i've always been on the scuba diving side of it i kind of like it uh, a little bit better in my opinion but uh yeah certified basic certification is pr- probably all you're gonna need uh for like washita here you're probably only gonna be the deepest usually that we are is probably you know 35 40 feet top you know maximum on that end and then uh it just depends different times of the year you'll be um you know shallower like right now this early season we may be five to 15 so it's uh i wouldn't say nobody should be discouraged on how deep you are because it's pretty you know pretty shallow for the most part so if somebody's just wanting to get into it they can start off shallow and like i said you can start off free diving come out here and just kind of see if you like it and all that if you want to get on the the diving side of it obviously basic certification and then um like i was telling zach you know, a lot of this stuff you can get in for fairly cheap. You know, you look online just like anything else and everything's going to be expensive if you're buying it brand new, top of the line. But a lot of these people, you know, will get into to diving for just a couple of years and you may fa- find a deal on Facebook Marketplace now or something like that that no somebody may have not even taken out of the package. And so you can be in it, you know, for fairly cheap right off the bat. So Yeah, you were telling me that, that diving is definitely not for everyone. So you ought to, maybe you should go down with somebody before, beforehand to see if, if you even want to do it. Am I correct? Yes, no, for sure. You, you definitely, I would go somebody that, like I said, uh, get certified or, or go to some of these. Be, they've got these beginner courses. That you go even get in a swimming pool and go down there and and see because a lot of people are you know they'll get claustrophobic or stuff like that and and they may not be for them. You know, like we were talking about. You know, I'm not a big golfer, so this is kind of my. Um, you know, I'd rather be under the water. So I'm probably different <laughs> different than a lot of people out there. So well, no man, I can tell. You know, he said. I mean, I, I you know I know from being around you for years that I mean that that you know yeah you love to hunt and this is a real combination of hunting and fishing together. Hundred percent, and that's the thing too. Kind of for you know, Arkansas green timber, you only hunt it sixty days out of the year, so you got to find right. some. Uh, you got to find a few other hobbies. So this is you know when it's a hundred degrees outside, you know at thirty five, you know forty feet below the lake, it's going to be cool down there. So that's somewhere you can get out, escape the heat, and uh, I, it's kind of um, 
you know, always want to dive with a buddy. So most of the time it's going to be kind of a a social aspect where, yeah, you're not talking under the water, but when you come up, you know, you're still going to be able to talk about the fish you saw or whatever it is. So most of the time you're going to have two or three people diving with you. And so it's, it's pretty fun. Right, right. It's, um, yeah, it brings up a good point. Like, why we created the DU Nation series in the first place was the fact that we really wanted to show that, that what we do on the ground affects, you know, not only waterfowl, but a lot of other, other species of wildlife and, and, and helps people as well. And then just, you know, like you said, you can only, you know, you can only hunt birds 60 days a year right here. Well, out, yeah, out west, I don't know what they, <laughs> they got like 110. Yeah, that, crazy, didn't, that didn't count. You know, yeah, down here we got 60. So, you, you know, so if you live the outdoors lifestyle, you end up doing all kinds of other things, fishing and camping, hiking, um, spearfishing, you know, fly fishing. I mean, it's just, it's really, the DU Nation is about the outdoor experience. So we're really trying to showcase that. And I think this is really cool. Uh, you know, something that a lot of folks don't even think about is, you know, uh, they, they've seen spearfishing in saltwater, but they haven't seen it in fresh. Yeah, Arkansas, I want to say, I mean, don't hold me to it, but I think Utah may be one of the only other states like actual like sport fish that you can actually shoot. So a lot of people are always surprised when I when I mention that, you know, we're shooting different things like walleye and catfish and stuff like that. But uh, it is legal here in Arkansas. And I, and I think, um, and uh, since we've been here, we've seen multiple other people out here spearfishing. It uh, hadn't been too crowded, which, you know, we're thankful for. But it's still, you know, you're getting people in the outdoors. And uh, and obviously, you know, the, the fisheries, have, uh, the game of fish has set these uh, legal parameters. And so, I mean, that's just one more way to get outside and, and have fun. So exactly, exactly. And 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 uh, once again, it needs to be stated that there's a season for this. You can't just roll out any time of year and and spearfish. You you've got uh, certain parameters. Like this was uh, it was June 15th, right? It's opening day. But and then once again, you can't shoot flathead catfish. You got to wait another month, July 15th, for flatheads, right? Yes, and. So I think ever ever since I've been doing it, June fifteenth's been our big day. You know, we're just like opening day at duck season. We're counting on that uh, calendar that yeah. day, man, because that's that's when it, you, you want to be out here. And obviously, just like anything else, if you can catch a weekday, there's going to be less people wait board and stuff like that, which is going to help visibility. But uh, flatheads here in Arkansas, you got to wait till July fifteenth. And I saw a couple, like I mentioned to you when I was down there, that we didn't shoot. You know, you can see them. They're obviously yeah. – once you're down there over and over, you can just get more – fish Fish identification has been huge for me, just the different types of fish that I've learned since I started diving and stuff. You know, being old school, just – I was pretty much catching at least largemouth, you know, maybe smallmouth here and there, and then now just uh, walleye, just the different stripers, hybrids, white bass. I mean, just all that different – me and you were talking about, a lot of people don't even know that – they have in a lot of lakes here in Arkansas, so that's been that's right, been pretty cool right. for me. Very diverse, uh, yeah. You know, you know, you don't have to go far. You know, I'm a Mississippi native and, and live in Mississippi. There's no walleye in Mississippi. That's, that's it, and it's not that far away. We're four hours away, really, from you know being right there in the Mississippi Delta, and um, that's something that they have here in these clear lakes in Arkansas that we don't have over there. Best eating too, as you can man, tell. When, good stuff. When man. we fried all those fish up last night, that you, you wanted to try to get a piece of that walleye. That's, that's, yeah, that's where it's that's at. That's it. That's it. Although that striper did provide a lot of meat, though, that I remember. It, uh, he was, you know, he provided a lot of sustenance, folks. Uh, you know, man, yeah, great experience, folks. I mean, this is, uh, it's, like I said, that uh, DU Nation's really taken us to a lot of different places and a lot of different experiences. And this one was really unique and something we're going to definitely have to come back and explore again, Austin. So thanks, man, so much for hosting us on this deal. And, and thanks for part, being part of the DU Podcast. 
I've, I've always been a fan of Arkansas. I've been trying to get you over here. I always, I always call it the <laughs> promised land. So, Oh, no. Uh, we've been in enough places duck hunting together and be like, man, we need to be down here in Arkansas, man. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. I this know. Is, uh, this is, I, I really do love the state of Arkansas. This is one, the Spearfish is one more way to keep me here uh, for the full year. So, yeah, I'm glad y'all got to come and see it. And like the scenery, like, like we mentioned, just getting out here and being able to drive out on that lake and see, see a sunrise, oh, sunset, you can't hey, beat it. So Just getting out on that lake is, is worth the, the worth the coming here. I mean, it really is. Washington is a beautiful place, and I mean, it, it really is. I mean, we saw a lot of folks, families here. You know, I'm sure it's you know over the weekend it'll be really jumping. Yeah, it'll it'll start getting more more and more packed as the weekend goes on, and then uh, you know maybe next year you'll have to get that diving certification, get you down there, and get you get you hooked. <laughs> Although I, you know, the bigger fish, are, you know, are on rod and reel. I don't know. That's all I'm saying. But uh, anyway, folks, hey, once again, thanks again for tuning into the Ducks Unlimited podcast. And thank you so much for supporting the Ducks Unlimited mission of wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to the DU Podcast, sponsored by Purina Pro Plan, the official performance dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Purina Pro Plan, always advancing. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit ducks.org slash DU Podcast. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit campuswaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.